Redemption Church and churches all across the world, we're entering into this season called Advent. And, and this is the season where we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this, this celebration comes after 400 years of silence. And at the end of the Old Testament and the hinging point to the New Testament of God's rescue mission, it comes to its climactic point, comes to its, its highest point when Jesus is born. And for me, this is the most wonderful time of the year. Shout out to my man, Andy Williams. Anybody know that song? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, he's, a, he's a hit maker. Um, it's the most wonderful time of the year for me because Advent introduces us to the person of Jesus. So without Advent, we don't have the life of Christ. And without the life of Christ, we don't get his death and we don't get his resurrection. So Advent reminds us of what's to come in the person of Jesus and especially through his glorious return. So at its most powerful and yet simplistic form, Advent is the greatest gift ever given. So tonight we are going to dive into this thing called Advent. And, and here's what I want to do for us tonight. We want to look at Advent as a, as a window. We're going to look at it as a window into the kingdom of heaven. So before we get into the thick of things, let's, uh, let's pray. And here's the one thing that I'm praying for us tonight, and the, the main theme is for God to reveal more of himself to us. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time tonight. Thank you for uh, allowing us to be here. Uh, I'm so grateful for this community. I'm so grateful for the folks that I get to serve with. And uh, tonight, God, would you just make very real uh, yourself to those who are in the room, those who are listening, God, that you would make very real and very plain of who you are as Christ the King. Father, would you allow these words to um, just pierce the hearts of your people and, and God, that you would do through your spirit what only you can do to a human heart. So, God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time together. Uh, Luke chapter 2, and, and uh, if you have a subtitle like I do, it says the birth of Jesus. And we're going to read from verses 1 through 21. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And it sounds like everyone is there because um, I see all the phones are up. So um, <clears throat> let's read. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So let me, let me pause for a second, kind of set the picture of what's going on. So Caesar Augustus, uh, at, at this time, during the, in this time of the story, he was known to be the most powerful man in all of the ancient Near East. 
And, and, it, and it shows because everybody in that, in that region, they went to register. And so the reason they had to, we see that uh, Joseph and Mary are traveling from Nazareth to Jerusalem is because of, uh, is because that Joseph was a part of David's lineage. And as they're traveling from this, from this, uh, this trek in Nazareth through Jerusalem, it's funny to me that this registry Caesar Augustus issued, he thought that it was going to benefit him. This registry was, was to get a special tax so that the Roman emperor, the Roman culture could benefit from all the, the folks that were registering so they could issue a special tax. So Caesar Augustus thought he was actually getting over on the people, but little did he know the reality was that God was using this registry to fulfill a prophecy that Micah 5.2 says, that the ruler, the ruler, the king of all kings, would be born in Bethlehem. So let's, let's just keep reading. I'm going to pick up in verses 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room or no guest room available for them. And there were the shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born unto you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and all the earth to those whom his favor rests. Verse 15, And when the angels left them and gone back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Then they said, or they, then they had seen him and spread the word and concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. And Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And on the, twin, and on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angels had given him before he was conceived. So the season of Advent is a window into the kingdom. And tonight we're going to unpack three unlikely sources that the kingdom of heaven is revealed through. And the first unlikely source is Mary and Joseph. And let me give some historical context on Mary and Joseph and some, some context of what time they're living in and, and, and how they navigated through this time. Most believe that Mary was the age 13, between the age 13 and 14 uh, in, this, in this particular time. And Joseph was believed to be 
18. So do me a favor. Take off your Western lenses, put on Near Eastern lenses, and, and, and especially 2,000 years ago, this was actually a norm. And the reason I said that because I do have a daughter, and she'll be 13 in July. And it's, it was hard for me to kind of, when I found out that she was 13, 13, could be 13 or 14. I mean, I, I have a hard time kind of reconciling that a father would give his 13 daughter away, 13-year-old daughter away for marriage. But that's the custom that was in this day. They belonged to this lower social class called peasants. They most believed that this working class, they made their living through agricultural ventures like farming or small commercial ventures like carpentry. So while we know that Joseph, he, he made his living as a, as a carpenter, most scholars believe that Mary spent an average of 10 hours a day doing domestic chores like carrying water from a nearby well or stream, gathering wood for fire, cooking meals, washing clothes and utensils. Sounds like um, Mary had a really, really rough time there at 13 doing all of that work. Here at Redemption, we have this saying that life is naturally supernatural. And the life of Mary and Joseph supports this saying that the kingdom of heaven would be revealed through a couple of teenagers who ultimately place their trust in God and not in their circumstances. See, their, their, their circumstances found them to be refugees from this lower social class on this 80-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem under oppressive leadership. Their circumstances also found them to be in a barn with no family around, no support system, no, no, no midwife, no OBGYN, no, uh, no nurse to help give birth to this baby boy. And yet their circumstances did not derail what God had promised to them. And, and this is what we know to be true about a promise. It's only as good as the promise keeper. So just as the Spirit of God did in Genesis 1 and 2, creating life and light out of nothing, so would his word through the word of God generate life and light of the world inside of Mary's womb Binding himself with all of humanity, and he's doing this through the conception and the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High. So the first unlikely source that we see the kingdom of heaven revealed through is Mary and Joseph. Now the second unlikely source that we see the kingdom of heaven revealed through is the shepherds. And Verses 8 and 11 says this, 8 through 11 says, that there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And now to give you some kind of general, uh, give you a general idea about the shepherds, most believe that shepherds in this day, they had little to no value at all. The Pharisees had a group, and they called this group the lost. And they believed that the, the lost were unable to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And, and the group that was associated with this particular group these individuals would have been anyone with afflictions. So if you had leprosy, if you, had, if you were crippled, 
if you were blind, uh, anyone who was considered to be a sinner, like prostitutes, tax collectors, and the folks at the top of this list were shepherds. They weren't allowed to be in temple. They weren't allowed to do temple worship as we do like on Sundays. They weren't allowed in because they were ceremonially unclean. And the reason why they were ceremonially unclean was because of their job, watching the sheep. 24 hours, seven days a week were spent in a field cleaning, washing, feeding, taking care of sheep. And they had no time to go and wash and do the ritual to be able to enter into the temple. So I hope this is kind of painting a picture of what shepherds were like for you. Because this is where it gets a little tricky. Known to be social outcasts of this society, God decides to reveal the kingdom of heaven through them because they embody what Jesus would later address in John 10, 11. And here's what he says, that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. God's plan from the foundation of the world was for Jesus to give his life for us. So just as the shepherds would lay down their life for their sheep, so would this baby boy grow to do. That's good news, by the way. This angelic announcement to these uneducated men exemplified that the mission of God was on the move. And I think it's worth mentioning here that the shepherds in this story was believed to have been watching over the same sheep that were primarily used for sacrifices. The name of this place is called the Tower of the Flock. And the significance here is because Micah, the prophet, he gives Jesus that same title in Micah 4.8. And, and here's what it says in Micah 4.8. As you watch, O tower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. The kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Micah was prophesying that Christ would ultimately through the example of being a good shepherd, restore all of his people. What makes the tower of the flock so fascinating? And now this is, this is what's recorded now, so if, don't, don't shoot the messenger. Um, but this is what's been recorded about this place. This is why it's so special. It's because it's believed that the shepherds, not only would they watch over the flock at night at this place, but they would also use this place to ex examine the, the sheep. And, and here's the story. The story goes that they would take these sheep these, the, in, in, in this examination process. They would take them and place them in this little trough thing that kind of looked like a manger. And, and after examining them, making sure they had no blemishes or no spot or wrinkle, they, they would wrap them in these cloths and then take them to the temple to be sacrificed. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's a glorious thing of the gospel connection that is connected to this process. Christ being the spotless lamb born in a manger exemplified and examined by the Father of heaven to become the ultimate sacrifice through death on a cross. And it's just like God to reveal this prophetic message to a, to a group of social outclass, outcasts, sorry, 
Outcast. Anybody know who that group, Outcast, rap group out there? Anybody? No? Mm. Let's continue. Uh, no, but it, it's funny that God would reveal this, this, this message to these, these men, these men that, that were uneducated, these men who weren't able to go into the temple to worship, these men who were considered to not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's amazing that God would choose them to reveal his glory through. So the second source that we see the kingdom of heaven revealed is through the shepherds. And, and, and the last unlikely source that we see the kingdom of heaven revealed through is the manger. Verses 12 through 16 says this. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest of heavens, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. This is undoubtedly, like, no, there's no doubt ever that this was the most famous manger feeding trough in the world, a.k.a. Sweet Baby Jesus Christmas Crib. This, this manger was mentioned three times in the span of ten verses. And we see this manger all on Christmas cards and school plays and on the Hallmark Channel movies. We see, this, we see this, 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 this manger as the focus of the nativity scene, and it's no wonder that our natural flinch is to be focused in on the manger and not focus in on who's in the manger. We often fail to realize that the manger is actually a signpost pointing us to what's to come in the person of Jesus. Verse 12 I mean, it starts out with, and this will be a sign. When me and my wife and my family, we were living in Florida. I need to take a, a water break. When me and my wife, we was living in Florida. Um, shout out <laughs> to the Chandler Gilbert um, folks in the house. Anyway, um, so when me and my wife were, were in Florida with the kids, we would take our kids to uh, Disney World. Um, the true or better Disney World in Orlando. I don't know what that thing is in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, 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 there you go. There you go. So we would take our kids every other year to, to Disney World. And as you're entering into Disney's property, there's this sign that it, it, it goes over, I think it's like a six-lane highway, and it's this huge, it says, Welcome to Disneyland, or Disney World. Welcome to Disney World. And it would be crazy for us. It would be crazy for me and my wife to pull off in the side of the road Take our kids out of the car, start taking pictures, getting the poles on in front of this sign and marveling and spending all of our time in front of this sign and never going in to enjoy the rise. The manger was a signpost pointing us to what was inside for us to enjoy. God stepping out of heaven into humanity in the middle of this chaotic and messy world to be the savior for anyone who will put their trust in him. The manger is pointing us to what we are to enjoy. And I think it's worth mentioning, by the way, when I say that, 
Ain't, ain't nobody catch on. Man, I was hoping Corey would shot me out of Connor, whatever. So these are preaching moments. So when I say, when I think it's worth mentioning, that's a preaching moment. If, if you feel so inclined to say, amen, this is the time. <laughs> so I think it's worth mentioning that just as the feeding trough was a place where nourishment and sustenance provided everyday living, inside the manger would also be the one who would provide sustenance and nutrition for eternal life to those who would believe in him. Can I get an amen? <laughs> just as the feeding trough was primarily used outside, it was easily accessible for anyone who would come to it. And the one lying in the manger, he came primarily for the outsiders, and he too would become easily accessible, living in the hearts of men for those who would put their trust in him. Can I get amen? amen. The signpost of the manger reveals the kingdom of heaven has come. Now, this, this story if you are an unbeliever here, this absolutely makes no sense. It, and, I'm, and, and here's the reality. Everything about it sounds like backwards. Everything about it sounds so like uh, unreal. That God would come and redeem all of mankind. He would usher in his kingdom, bringing chaos into order. He would overthrow kings and kingdoms. He would reestablish power and position, and he would do this through a marginalized teenage couple from the lower class in the middle of an oppressive time with King Herod hot on their trail. He would usher in his kingdom through the birth of a baby boy who was born in a place only fitting for animals. And to top it off, he would reveal this good news to a bunch of uneducated, unchurched, social misfits, misfits called shepherds to be the confirmation that the kingdom of God has arrived. But let me tell you something. I got a confession. As crazy as this story sounds, I believe it. I believe it's true. Every fiber in my body believes that this story happened. My life is built around this amazing truth that God used unlikely sources to reveal that his kingdom has come through the person of Jesus. I believe that. But I know that, especially during this time of year, this, this can be a hard time and, and, a, and a hard thing to swallow that joy has come. For some of us in here, this actually can, this time of year can be pretty painful. So on Saturday, my, uh, my, my family, my dad's brother will be laid to rest. Um, his name is uh, Rudy. A couple of years ago, I shared this story, and I feel, feel like it's fitting again to share it. Um, so I went back home uh, two years ago, and I was able to perform the renewal, wedding renewal vows for my my aunt and her husband, and me and my dad were, were in Jacksonville, and my, my dad had just got this phone, this the iPhone. At the time, I think it was the iPhone 9. And, and the, those iPhones, I think, it was the first time that you could actually, like, say, you know, Siri, and Siri would, and, you know, you can give it instructions or whatever. And so um, my dad is bragging about this expensive phone that he knows nothing about. And he's like, hey, Rudy, Rudy, man, look, look what I got, look what I got. Hey, Rudy, let, let me show you something, let me show you something. He's, 
Hey, Silas, Silas, take, take me to Rudy House. <laughs> I was like, first of all, Daddy, that ain't Cyrus. <laughs> I don't know who you're trying to talk to. Second of all, this phone don't know where Rudy stay. You got to put in the address. <laughs> my, my, my dad got a kick out of that, and I thought it was funny, too. But um, I never had a real, like, close relationship with that, that particular uncle, Uncle Rudy. But the reason I'm sharing this story is because of my dad. This, this, is, this was his older brother. And this, this last week, we've talked more this past week than we had probably all year long. And he was just sharing story after story of how he was in grade school when his dad had got shot in the back. How when he, gradu- when he graduated high school, was in the Army, his mom died of a heart attack. Um, I think it was like a few years prior to us moving out here to, um, to Arizona, um, one of his sisters passed away of cancer. And now his, his big brother has passed away. And, and, and as he was sharing these things, and, and it, just, it just clicked, it just hit me that, I mean, this, this time of year, man, so many people have this, this lens of brokenness. So many, so many people are dealing with this battle of loneliness, anxiety, depression. And this brokenness of their reality, it seems to, to, to shine so much brighter, speak so much louder than this amazing truth that unspeakable joy has come into the world. And if, you're, if that's you... If you're in here and, man, yeah, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm struggling. This is, this is one of those times of year that I, I'm, I'm struggling to find joy. Well, can I, can I share this, that there's good news for you? Because this, this little baby that we're celebrating actually grew up, and he grew up to be the Messiah. He grew up to fulfill all the prophecies that were made thousands of years before his existence as human. And he grew to fulfill what John 10.10 says, that he came to give life and life to the fullest. Jesus is the only source for true peace, everlasting joy, and life to the fullest. First, First Peter 5, you know, uh, Harley, could you put it up on the screen? First Peter, I'm going to just read this. First Peter 5, 6 and 7 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety, not some, but all, on him because he cares. Whatever your situation is, give it to him. He can handle it. God is known for turning a mess into a message. Two teenagers, some despised men in a feeding trough points to that explosive truth that the true king of the world, he's here and he's with us. So what does that really mean for us then? Well, as a believer, we can, we can be of good cheer. Because the Messiah has come. He's here. The Messiah in the person of Jesus has arrived. So as one theologian puts it, 
we can, we can let God have all the glory and we can get all of his peace. And for those who are wrestling with your faith, that by your own admission, you would go, man, honestly, I'm, I'm not a believer. You know, I, I may have tried this church thing and it's not my style. Well, I got, a, I got a couple of questions for you. The first one would be, uh, what is your reason for the season? In other words, what is it that you think you need? And then if I'm thinking big picture, larger framework, what is it that you think our culture needs? Because here, here's the truth of the matter. I said this earlier that I, I truly believe that this story that Luke is addressing in chapter 2 is absolutely real. I believe that. Now let me tell you what I don't believe. I don't believe we need more books on how to cope with life. I don't think we need more technology or digital resources. I don't think we need another advisor or reformer to help us shake up things. I don't think we need another committee or subcommittee to help us keep in check the original committee. I don't think we need tougher laws or more government assistant programs. What I need, what you need, what we all need is a savior. The scripture calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the good news for us tonight is that he has made himself excessively easy to attain. For those who would call on his name, he has made himself accessible for you. Right now, we're going to enter into a time of, of prayer. And I said this earlier, and, and I, want us to, uh, I want us to revisit this, that <clears throat> my prayer is that I want God to reveal more of himself to us. And I know that in this season, again, a lot of us kind of struggle with this whole ideal of, man, I, there's, no, there's no joy in this time. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've lost. You don't know what I don't have. And, and, and if you are not a believer, this time can, can possibly be uh, uncomfortable. Well, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that, you know, you don't necessarily have to participate, but don't let this moment pass by. God is very real, and he's very, very much near. So as we're praying around the tables, here's what I would like for us to do. The first thing is to pray for one another that, that God would reveal more of himself to us. And then secondly, when uh, the, the worship band is going to come, and when, when we're entering into worship, if you are that person that's struggling, that, that, man, this time is always hard for me. This time is is is. I, there's no joy. We, we want to pray for you. We want to make ourselves accessible for prayer. And so a few of us will be on the side over here. A few of the leaders will be on the here side to be able to pray with you guys. But we want to take very serious this moment and reconnecting to the simple truth that God, Emmanuel, is with us. Let's pray. Let's pray.